0: As we enter into your presence, may the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So this is uh, a season between our generosity worship series and our Advent worship series, and so there's a couple of weeks there that um, we decided that what we would do is just look at what the recommended texts are for the for, from the lectionary. We call it the lectionary. It's a it's a set of recommended readings uh, in the life of the church over the course of three years. You cover all of the gospels and most uh, and much of the rest of the Bible as well. And so we've been looking at last week and this week this twenty fifth chapter of Matthew. And in the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus sits down with his friends and begins to teach in parables. A common way that Jesus teaches. And, uh, but the parables are distinctively different. They are different in that this is a time in which Jesus is not only teaching about how to live life, but how living life has consequences in the world, right? And so he's preparing them, really, for what lies ahead because this is near the end of the gospel story of matthew and so last week we uh read the story about the ten bridesmaids and how um how uh, how we look at that as a time to prepare a time to of waiting and what we do with that time and how important it is this week we look at the parable of the talents the talents it's a common parable it's one that most of us have read at least once or twice in our, in our growing up years, and many of us read it at least every year. Now, there's this thing about parables. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with parables for myself. They either challenge me in a good kind of way, and I say, oh, yeah, this is great, or they stump me altogether, or they, I don't get them. I just don't get them at all, and so I just want to act like they're not even there, and I don't want to deal with them. Sometimes Jesus' stories in these little parables uh, seem kind and generous of spirit and and they're good advice for the way we live our Christian life. And sometimes these parables seem cruel, almost unkind, too harsh, unforgiving, and I'm left wondering what is it that they're saying? One commentator said that every parable holds within it something that is concealed and something that is revealed. And I said, do you know, I can buy into that. Then I continued to read what he meant by that. And what he was saying is that that in the parable, Jesus conceals eternal truths from those who are non-believers and reveals them to believers. Well, that's not my experience at all. My experience is, in fact, that God conceals certain truths to me until I am ready and I am a believer. Until I am ready to see it because my life experience has bumped into it or I have a new understanding about something in the world. And so I believe that it is concealed until a time in which I am ready and then God reveals new truths to me. And that is what happened in today's parable for me this week, as I got ready to prepare it. I thought, oh my goodness, this is so handy. I'm going to preach on the joy of watching how our gifts grow, kind of like the way we we saw how the children's gifts grow over time in the life of this community. And that's exactly what tradition has taught us about this parable. And it's not wrong. But when I read it this week, it came to life for me in a new way. So let's start by reading the parable, and then we're going to dig into it. This parable is in the 25th chapter of Matthew, and it picks up with verse 14. It goes through verse 30. Listen now for God's holy word and revelation. For it is as if a man going on a journey summons all his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had had been given two talents made two more talents, But the one who received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you have handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I know that you are a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I do not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. I see Kathy's face out out there. Ooh, that ends on a very sour note, doesn't it? It ends in a way that I am uncomfortable with. That is what was causing me some pain as I read this week. This parable starts out on the shaky ground, on a rocky ravine, and we can get into trouble quick if we're not careful. Because we can begin to see that this is a a story about prosperity thinking. That somehow, if if we do this or we do that, we will be rewarded. And we continue to do more and more with what we're expected to do and our rewards will come in abundance. That's what we can read into this. You see, we have this man. This man who hands over huge piles of money to his servants, and then he skips out of town. Now, it says he gives them talents, and and a talent in the first century was equivalent to about 15 years' wages. 15 years. Now we don't know if it's the master's wages or the servant's wages, but I have to tell you, if somebody plopped 15 years of my wages in front of me, I'd have to ponder on what I'm gonna do with that, right? And maybe that's part of the lesson here, to ponder on what would we do with that kind of money all in one place. But instead, we seeking to do good justice to God's holy word, those of us who look deep into the scriptures don't go for the easy prosperity message. Instead, we begin to focus on something else. We say, perhaps this is a story about working hard, about using everything that is given to us wisely, about not sitting around and being lazy and so that nothing will happen with that which is given to us. That's a good message. John Wesley himself said that We should seek to make all the money we can. We should be diligent in our work, and then we should save as much as we can. And then he goes on, so that we can give as much as we can. In John Wesley's life, he uh, made a meager earning early in his life and learned how to live on just a fraction. Like all of us, when we're young and getting started, we learn how to live on a meager earning. And he never lived beyond that. Everything else he made, he saved, and he gave it away. Truly, that is an honorable message in this parable. Or... We take a look at this parable and we take advantage of the Greek linguistics that is going on here, right? So this talent, this talent is a form of money, a, a, a form of currency in the first century. But when we when we uh, translate it to our English, it becomes talent, a human ability, something that God gives us, something that is natural within us. And we begin to say, maybe this is a story about God's given gifts and abilities to us and God's gift, and we should acknowledge them, we should put them to work, and we should make the kingdom a better place to be. Both of these interpretations work. Both of them are a good example of stewardship, whether it's stewardship with our money or stewardship with our human abilities. And sprinkled within this parable is this amazing set of consequences about laziness or even self-centeredness and and not feeling like uh, it's our own skin is at risk when we're put entrusted with something. Ultimately, the message is about being prepared for preparing our soul for the kingdom of heaven, we say. But then, it's not as neat and tidy, tied up in that little bow, is it? Usually isn't with Jesus' teachings. And so I began to dig into this parable a little bit deeper, and here's here's what began to bother me. It opens with this line that says, as if, as if, it is as if a man, and it goes on with the story. It doesn't talk about the kingdom of heaven. Many of Jesus' parables start with, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven will be, either teaching us about how to see the kingdom of heaven on earth now around us, or somehow looking to the future of what we will be a part of in eternity. Instead, this opens with this, it is as if, and it comes on the tail of of the previous uh, parable that ends with, we will know neither the day nor the time. Jesus goes straight from there into it is as if a man went on a journey. And so I began to really dig into what was going on in this story of the three slaves and their talents and their gifts. And I see a couple of red flags that begin to play. So first is, if if I'm thinking in terms of the master as God or Jesus, I am troubled right away right away, because we learned that this master is depicted as a harsh man, someone who, who reaps where they might not have sowed, someone who takes advantage of another and then also hands out judgment harshly. That does not align with the God or the Jesus that I know, and so I'm already suspicious. And then this, this master entrusts property without instruction, and he says, each in proportion to their abilities. So I dug a little bit into that Greek translation, and it, should, it could be according to their power. And this Greek word for power here is one of a person who has influence over others. Someone who, who tends to be Um, intimidating. Someone who intends to take advantage of others, uses that power for unscrupulous things. And then I read on and a very careful reading says that this master asked that final slave to have at least put those talents in the bank to earn uh, interest. Seems logical enough to us But if you're a Jew in the first century, to put your money in a place where it earns interest is illegal in Jewish life. It is considered a sin of usury, and so they did not do that. So the master is asking him to break the law. So I said, what is this? What is Jesus asking us? So I said, what if, what if Jesus is asking us to begin to see and identify with the slave who buried the money? Okay, so what if this is a story not about what the kingdom of God, heaven is like, but what the kingdom of the earth is like, what the earth values, then the point is that this particular slave refused to play the earthly games and put value into what the earth values, even though we know that even in our own world, we are sometimes blessed by what our world values. Now stay with me here because I don't want you to get the notion that I'm not, that I'm saying that good business people can't also be good Christians. I don't believe that. I believe we are asked to be shrewd, that we are asked to be diligent and put our understanding of the way that things work in the world to work for the kingdom of God. But that's the point, I think. He offers this as a warning. It's in a group of three parables that scholars tell us Jesus is warning us. So what is he warning us? He's warning us that if we use our power to take advantage of others for our own gain, that there'll be consequences for that. Like payday loan a, they, with outrageous interest and they prey on people who, are, who don't have the ability to pay that back. They plop their storefronts in neighborhoods where people barely make it by. This is a worldly value, not a kingdom value. And then to ask someone to do something that is illegal or sinful? That's not what God wants either. So perhaps this is a warning of unscrupulous practices that when we make a gain at the expense of another, there is consequences to be paid. Now in the context here, Jesus is warning his disciples progressively. And what we see then if we look at the gospel Across the whole gospel, we see Jesus has encountered this own warning of himself, for himself. Back in Matthew 4, Jesus is taken by the earthly tempter to the highest pinnacle in the region, and he says, take a look, Jesus, you can see as far as Galilee and as far as Jerusalem, and all of this can be yours, Jesus, all of this can be yours, if you will worship me if you will become more like me. Now this is near the end of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, and he's he's thirsty and he's hungry, and he's probably caught with his mind not thinking clearly, and yet Jesus is so clear in his response to this earthly tempter. He says, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I think what Jesus is saying here is that there will be consequences when we choose, when you and I choose not to play the games as the world defines them, but enter into the, into the way of relationships and, and influence and power the way Jesus defines them. You see, here's the reality of it all. There's no entry fee into God's kingdom. The good news is that our net worth has nothing to do with our eternal value. God chooses you and me not for our ability to earn. We can't earn anything. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn grace. We just receive it because that's the way God is. God loves us as God's children. And this love that God shares with us is meant for us to have increasingly wonderful values and increasing our ability to love one another. In a world that is divided by so many aspects in our American life today, it is good to know that Our inherent worth is not based on some position we take or some side of the issue upon which we stand. We are loved just because God is who God is. We're not a minority. No matter how we think, how we stand, when we're in God's economy, we are not at the margins. We are right smack in the middle of God's economy, every single one of us, no matter what we have to offer. But there is a response. There is consequence. There is wisdom in this parable. We are not called to sit on our keister and do nothing about it we're called to share that love, to expand that love exponentially with everyone, to find someone at the margins in our world and bring them into the center of God's economy, of God's world, to listen to their story, to greet them in their own language perhaps, to commit to pray for not only those on our prayer list but those who knock on our door throughout the week, those we don't know, and ask for help. I have to tell you, many of these people that come to us these days have never had to ask for help before. And there's a sense of humility and humbleness So what would it look like if all of us prayed for every person that comes to this church? What would it look like if we committed to pray for the person who lacks the resources or the power to change their circumstances and so they never seem to get ahead? Next week we have the perfect opportunity to share more love, more resources, more prayers, and more of ourselves in this great day of service. So won't you come with me? Won't you come with me to the edge of this parable, to the edge uh, and, and, and leave behind what the world values and look at and find what God values and see more love, more worth, and feel like and feel what that is about. It is as if Jesus is telling us Jesus will be there. Amen.